Can I tell you about a gross mistake I made recently? Um, Please. I have an issue with how I listen to music while I play drums. Um, ah, yeah. You know, if I use just Apple Buds, you know, the drums are way too loud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I either have to scorchingly blast the thing, but it's not really possible. So years ago, I discovered by accident, because my kids' protective headphones were downstairs, that if I put the headphones over my earbuds... Oh, yeah. Then, like, I get the music through, but then it blocks out enough drums that it works a little bit. Um, And I'd been playing the other day, and it was a few weeks ago now, and I did that move, but it was a very, very tight pair of headphones, and it got... Is seemingly uncomfortable by the end where I was like, oh shit, my ears hurt. That feels weird. And then like two days later, I get like a bump on the back of my ear, you know, kind of like a little, you know, assist or a, you know, what, what's that chain of thing? Lymph nodes, you know, some kind of like lymph node or something. I'm like, ah, whatever. I get these things sometimes and they go away. This one was not only going away, it started getting big and red and scary. And you know, instead of doing the right thing, I go up to like a cosmetic mirror and start futzing around one night. You know, I get a little bit out. I'm like, I think I see a whitehead. I think I can yeah, get pop this. it. Dude, the next day I pop this thing. I was like, what the fuck is coming out of my ear right now? Oh, God. Uh, it was uh, gross. Uh, like, I'm talking like tan, milky brown substance, uh, like just pouring out of the back of my ear. And then for like two, three days afterwards, a new little whitehead would start. And like every half day, I had to keep draining this fucking thing Where to the point where I was like, yo, where's this fluid coming from? And is this important fluid that my brain needs? It's yeah. so close to each other. I'm like, I don't like yeah. this. Yeah. But that you know, was I your can't, brain fluid. That's what I felt like. I was like, yo, there's no way all this fluid just like packed away in a cyst. Where's it coming from? Yeah, that was pretty gross. Dude, we just lost so many listeners that just turned off their Dude, isn't there like a cable show literally called like <laughs> Pop It? Where they like pop people's fucking zits and stuff? It's like oh, a... Yeah, maybe in Japan. No, this is American. <laughs> this is some like AMSR shit. Like people people literally like right. pop zits to like a sultry voice to relax. It's like a new... So you don't even know what people do anymore. Uh, you're you're kind of giving me chills a little bit. You're from the 50s. So to relax, you like to sit in front of a radio, listen to the one <laughs> FM dial available to you, radio. have some sort of dirty brown liquid without ice, and just, you know, stare into the middle distance until, until you go to sleep. I know how you did it back in the day, but it's just, it's just not, people like to pop zits to, to like chill wave now. Oh. This is the new thing. Uh, I'm uncomfortable now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, I have another piece of news that's fun. Oh, please. It's no, not this gross. one's good. Well, it could be gross if you took it one way. You know, NASA, every once in a while, puts together a plan to be like, okay, this is the next thing we're going to do, which takes, you know, a million years. Uh, Send and- a drummer into space and see if he can keep time. What's that? Well, who wants to know? The, is that it? Who wants to know the results no. of that experiment? <laughs> <laughs> no one. No. I'm sure plenty of drummers would monkey up for the experiment, though. But 
they were like, oh, should we go to Mars? Should we do this? They decided we're going to send a probe to Uranus. <laughs> it's true, I'm over, Brad. I'm over 50. I've already had that done. Yeah, you've had a couple <laughs> probes sent to Uranus. Well, <laughs> yeah, well are the, is it because uh, scientists are trying to discover the, uh, the, the surface of an ice giant? Do you have an ice giant somewhere in your body? I don't think so. Well, it'll be the first time we're trying to send something to one of the distant ice giants. And of course, as you know, friend of the program, Torsten Zorn, who's been on before. Oh, yeah. Is he involved? Rockets. He will be involved. And I asked him his thoughts on it. And, you know, I won't give all the details, but it's, it's an interesting thing from a scientist's perspective where if he takes on this project and everything went exactly to plan... It doesn't even land on Uranus till like 2040 something. So, you know, from a selfish point of view, he's like, you know, I'd like to see the fruits of my work while I'm alive. Um, So I get that. I get that. Even though it would be interesting to know what a probe on an ice giant looks like. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, I I mean, the joke, it never gets old. No, I know. But do you know that like on... um, it's either on Route 95 or on the Merritt Parkway. There's a little town in Connecticut in the called Myanus. Oh, M I A N U S. Oh, spe- that can't be the way you pronounce it, though. Dude, Myanus. You know that Mianus. I could at no point in my adult life ever drive through that town without making comments about ah, it to my yeah. passenger. Dude, Buttsville. We're in my anus. You're in my anus right now. Do you realize that? You just crossed over the line and you're in my anus. Yeah. Buttsville, New Jersey will always be funny. Manassas, Virginia. Oh, yeah. Like will always one. be funny. And that's a doubly strange one because that's where Lorena Bobbitt gave the snip in Manassas, which is, which is ironic. You know what's good about this intro, Brad? <laughs> we, went, we went right off track, just like the interview did. Oh, yeah. We brought Joan on, and it was like 40 minutes into it, and we're like, wait, we've talked about nothing and everything (laughs) all at the same time, which is my favorite kind of conversation, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I I had so many questions about uh, music and songwriting, you know, boring stuff. Yeah, let somebody else do that. And, you know, Jonah and and you and I, we just got straight to the nitty-gritty today. Mm-hmm. What does it all mean, Brad? It's here. The meaning of life. It's here. It's right in front of us. It's in this. Mm. Oh, it's, it's have, in this podcast. Well, we do get into end of the world. We do we get do. in. Jonas believes it's the end of the world and he's absolutely fine with that. I mean, <laughs> we get our artificial intelligence, the end of the world, and how one of my favorite songs, Luke Warm, is made, which is great. That's it just great. happened to me recently. I was playing that song. And I started getting very emotional. I teared up a little. I think I'm discovering via the pandemic that there's like this inner part of me that I did release playing live music that doesn't oh. get released, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I'll be downstairs and I just, and it always connects with like, I can't just be playing drums. I can't be playing any song. It has to be a song I love. And playing drums along to a song I love really incites like an emotional, emotional thing for me. It takes me to a 
takes me to that place. Like that movie Soul, you know? Absolutely. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a long interview, right? Get into it. I mean, it's barely an interview. I'll say this is a long conversation, right? So, uh... Should play play the train, Brad. Let's get it going. And then should I give you a little AMSR on the way out? Ooh, look at that white head. I'm gonna pop you, baby. Come on, give me that milky brown substance all over the back of my neck. Come on. It's going what, you got the cove? First show. I got the fucking Rona. Got the <laughs> Rona. First show out, oh. got the Rona. No, really? First one? Stop it. Literally my first actual club show trying it uh, like like a normal human being. I got fucking COVID. That's not fair. Yeah, that's you know, shit. It is. I think we should protest it. Now, what do we think? Is is that is that uh the universe telling you something or absolute arbitrary chaos? I mean, I think it's actually a much simpler thing, which is that <laughs> I and we collectively have stopped giving a shit quite enough about this thing and it turns out it's still around and it doesn't give a shit if we give a shit about it. I think that's about yeah. it. Yeah, too soon. A little too soon. <laughs> I mean, well, it's just insane. It just It's just turned into a thing where the problem, I mean, the problem, one of the many problems <laughs> with COVID uh, is that at this point, if I had gotten this on tour, if I'd gotten this sick on tour as I've been, you know, given that I've had the vaccines, like, like I'm fine, like I'm stuffy and I didn't feel good for a couple of days, but I'd still be touring. I'd still be doing my thing. But because it's COVID, it just, you know, it's like we lock down now because it's been such a PTSD horror show for a country for the past or world right. for the past yeah. few years. So now we're like, there's this huge overreaction and I feel like a fucking leper, even though I've basically just got the flu. Um, and yeah. again, this is yeah. all for anyone who's smart enough to get vaccinated, because I understand that it's always been horrifyingly deadly and damaging if you haven't got the vaccines. But having availed myself of modern, my, uh, availed myself of modern technology, I feel like, fuck, that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like. That's as well as I can articulate it. I mean, it's, fun. it's, it's, it's funny and also scary you bring it up because I haven't toward post COVID yet. And it's coming. Yeah. It's coming yep. up in the fall for me. And yep. Yep. The one thing I'm thinking now that you're talking about this is like, I don't know if I've ever gone through a significant tour cycle without getting super That's sick. Exactly. Times. 
And you, exactly. you know, and I never yeah. even thought like I'm never even considered canceling a show. It's like, it's just what do I have to do to myself to pretend I'm not sick for 90 minutes and then I'll go be sick again the rest of the night. Like, but yeah, oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah, I've, I've fucking, I've played through yeah, food poisoning and all sorts of injuries. And I mean, being, you know, infinitely sicker than I am now, just, I mean, beyond like no voice, yeah. no, nothing can't feel anything still go out there and rock it because, you know, it's fun and it's kind of what you do, but it's just a different time now. And I got to admit, it's like, I'm always at the merch table and I always hang with people and I love that. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm going to have to start doing that masked and request that other people do it. Because if there's one thing that I learned over this whole situation, which is that vaccines work and I wish more people believe that, but beyond that is just that masks work. Like Right. We, yeah. we saw our, our flu season because we were masked up the past couple years. Our flu season is insanely lower than it used to be just mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're doing these basic forms of self-protection in public. And I hate that because I fucking hate wearing a mask. But especially as a touring artist, I'm realizing, fuck, man, I got to take care of myself out here. Um, so it's just a sad truth, but I'm with you, man. And I really wish you luck because you're going to be you're going to be big scale in it, too. So you really got to stay safe. Well, I mean, I get the feeling like, you know, with a lot of this stuff, I got my, you know, I got my hands up. I even heard you say in a, you know, in in another interview or something, how like Mm. getting mad at this stuff is like yelling at the sun. Exactly right. Exactly right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. It's so out of our control. So, you know, I am giving myself to the system that's been running for a couple of years and people who have been doing it and doing it mostly successfully. But I do think one part of my experience is going to be like, I'm probably going to be totally shut off from fans. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's going to be yeah. the policy in order to keep the shows going. Cause as nice as it is to walk out of a venue and hang out with a bunch of people and shoot the shit and take some pictures and stuff like that's the stuff I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do right now. And I value that stuff a lot. It actually like, really fuels me up, you know, so I'm not hundred percent. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the point of going out there. I mean, yes, I love singing and, but I could sing alone. Like the point is being with people. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's no, it's I'm with you, man. And I'm, you know, I'd have no idea how exactly I got it, but I'm almost positive. It was all the hanging out at the merch table. And I was so excited to see people and we're in this cool little venue and it was so sweet. And and it was, but yeah, no, all the, all the bands I know are really, really limiting their exposure to people in the audience, which blows because yeah, coming up in the forms of music that we came up in, that's the whole point is breaking down those walls. So it right. kind of, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's the one thing that even though New York's policy got, got tough and tight and hard to work around. And I'm like, who is this fucking person? I'm showing my like, you know, license to enter, you know, to like, it was a very strange <laughs> dystopian sort of process that I don't really enjoy. You know what I mean? I feel like it's like your yeah. papers, but yep. at the same yep. time, like I'm in that venue, like with my wife, with my mask off, this just happened. I saw Brad at Jawbreaker like two weeks ago. And yep. the fact that like, at least at the baseline, I knew everybody in there was at least trying you know, to some extent. That's like, all, actually, well, yeah. No, for know, a little hell. while, we were all kind of trying together. We were kind of trying yeah. and it actually worked. And 
yeah, you know, file under woulda, coulda, shoulda. If we had just put on some fucking masks early on, the whole, we would, we literally would not be here two and a half years later. I think I got to reject the idea that we've all been trying the whole time. I really do think the subsect of people never tried. It's no, it's, it's the, it's my sad conclusion about the fate of humanity is that some of us are trying, but clearly, clearly not enough of us are trying. Like, and so if I step back from a little bubble of reasonable people who are trying, I look out onto the landscape and I just go, Oh fuck, no one actually cares. Like I'm sitting here caring and shouting about this, but and I know it's, you know, it's not an all or nothing thing, but I, I think it's like 50-50 and that is not a good ratio, it turns out, to no. stop a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, not strong. Not strong. I remember strong. at least at least I, I had like, a, I got to bear witness to it early on where, I you know, I, w- I was up in Jersey City when this started and when that city went on lockdown, it really was, it got pretty scary, you know? Yeah, um, man. And, you know, just because there's kind of this nowhere to go and I... Uh, was very fortunate to have a place to kind of escape to. Uh, and yeah. when we went down there, literally the first, you know, 20 foot apart human conversation I had was a woman who within the first minute of the conversation told me that the Democrats started it. Right. She's like, exactly. She's exactly. Literally from the, from the get go when there's like, you know, this is when like, you know, you're like, is Italy like going to be Italy anymore? Like, this is really bad. And this person was already like digging their feet in being like, no, 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 no. I don't think it's real. And I think, you know, and essentially when someone like that saying Democrats, they're saying, you know, like Jews and like, no, you know, it's, it's like the it's... global term for all of it. And I'm like, oh, OK, OK. At least I know right off the bat we're not on the same page, you know. <laughs> In all seriousness, that is the actual virus that's that's like killing us. Is this this yeah, thing of when someone right. doesn't want to deal with just regular plain old science. I don't even care about opinions. I've retired from fighting on the internet. I've retired from arguing with people. I just want to acknowledge basic facts and if I can't be with someone who is going to acknowledge basic widely shared empirically provable and easily replicable data, then what the fuck are we talking about? Because then it's Mm. just like this weird thing of, I want my narrative to be true so desperately that I'm literally creating a reality where it's true. Numbers be damned, history be damned, human beings be damned. I'm going to be right. And I'm going to have my solidarity with people who I think are my people and that's going to be that. And it's that's the deeper, darker disease that the pandemic yeah. has really exposed is that it's sort of it's been this sort of like gathering place from every fuckface from Russell Brand to Donald Trump, you know, of just like <laughs> just people who are just so excited on their version of the truth that they want to just <laughs> right. foist it on us, you know, and yeah. it, it just yeah. it's a wild time, man. It's a wild it it's a wild dystopian time. And whatever happens with the the long, 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 maybe infinite tale of this pandemic, what is exposed for me is, oh gosh, there's just a, a huge number of people in this world that I I literally can't talk to. I'm not talking about I <laughs> yeah. judge them or I'm mean to them or they hate me or I hate them or, you know, don't get me started on systemic oppression and all the things because sure. all of the, it's all just it's all just lies that have been made up because people are scared and they don't understand the world and they're trying to figure it out. And, and it's just so sad that people are dug in so deep 
you know, especially in the age of information. Sure, uh, just, sure. I mean, we've got all of this information at our disposal. It's so easy to cross-check a reference these days. Yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. It has never been less popular. <laughs> See, I wonder. I wonder if you went through the same thing as me with age, because you seem like a deeply empathetic person, and mm-hmm. you know, through a lot of years, I'd say you know, teenage to twenties. Sure. A lot of my idea was like connection. Like if you strip back a person far enough and get deep enough to the onion, you know, yes. we're all we're all universally like fighting for the same things, and we can find some universal common ground. Yeah, we all want our children to be safe, you know? Like, right, yeah. right. But like you now, you know, into my 40s and stuff, like I, I do see a version of people where even though, yes, I do believe from birth until now, you've been fed something that makes you think something incorrect. I don't necessarily blame them, but I've maybe like given up trying to work with them a little. Oh, you no, know? yeah, it's no judgment. Like, I mean, if, yeah, I'm, I'm a kind of, I'm in like a, I don't give that much of a shit about it because I'm a, more of a philosopher than a historian. And I see right. this pattern over and over again. But most recently, there's a really easy, I mean, when, <laughs> when Reagan got elected in 80 and crushed our public schools and crushed our mental health, just fast forward to now, it's a really easy straight line right. between those decisions about public health you know, predicated under small government, which again is language mm-hmm. for don't help the black people. Um, yeah. And, and feed big business. Yeah. yeah well, well, exactly, exactly. A- and maximize profits and yay wealth right. disparity. Um, but those cuts, when you cut public education and mental health mm. to the bone and then right. wait for decades in a country of 300 million, like this is what happens. I mean, it's right. not, this is it's happened yeah. over and over again throughout history in different ways and right. when people refuse to see that this happens and now we're in a strange weird little dark ages and uh, no i swear i'm not even mad at anyone anymore i feel super fucking sad that for 40 years yeah um everyone but the richest and most uh you know privileged in all the ways of kids have been given very, very little in the way of like simple critical thinking tools and actual valid intel. And it just, it's just, no, it's just, it, it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. Um, and yeah. And I, I'm just well, in an I, optimistic yeah. sense, like what, what do you see as any like functional paths forward or like avenues to universal truth again? Like, do you see, do you see any windows? No, 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 no. I, I no. Um, I, 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 I just, I, I say this with the cheeriest of faces because I've been an existentialist right. since I was in high school, but yeah. I sincerely pers- believe based on everything that every sort of timeline that I've checked out and every pattern I've checked out that we are an unsustainable idea that the way we're doing this thing doesn't make for any, forget about healthy conversation. We aren't, we aren't going to have air soon. We aren't going to have water. Um, there's, we're just, we're just between controlling fire and agriculture and literacy, those three decisions and what they have wrought for us as a species. I I don't, no, 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 we're not going anywhere good. 
Um, and, and that's, it's, we're not, and it's totally okay with me. Like I'm here and we're alive and I look forward to being worm food and whatever this existence is, is great. And I, and you know, the universe will go on and that's beautiful. And I'm happy to have been a weird part of it and that's cool, but no, no, in terms of human existence at like, just honestly, just the time when we decided that humans were a special thing and that we have a unique human spirit that's infinite. That was maybe the the first lie that really set us on the path, like to this conversation right now. But we I have think. to do it, right? Like, I think that that's like the human crux that you're finding is like the search you're talking about, which makes us feel so self important, is a lot of the time our our undoing. But it's it's also us referring to our own consciousness and the fact that like our consciousness may pass from like life to life or it's actually bigger than our physical body it's like it's like if you don't recognize the one it's hard to recognize spirituality as a whole you know well speaking of the uh, the word spirituality because a lot of the problem and it's funny i know i'm i'm like an english major and was going to be a teacher and am a songwriter and so here i'm talking about literacy and the dangers of it and so i understand <laughs> that literacy is really neat <laughs> Burn but the books, the fact Jonah. Is, I mean, yeah. no, I know it's insane, but like, but in in the in indigenous oral cultures, like, first of all, there weren't words the way we have them now. There weren't these terms that we need to fight over what exactly they mean. Like, mm-hmm. it, there was sort of there was built in, and and frankly, the rest of the world seems to get along, as in the rest of the world, meaning non-human life, seems to get along pretty good, and there seems to be a pretty good rhythm to it. Um, and so it's funny to me that we think we're smarter or are unique somehow, but like we're the only ones not in on the joke. Um, but so it, it, but no, but, but just in, for a fun little language thing, there's, uh, you know, there was a kind of an utterance that essentially meant the great spirit back in the day. And right. that essentially referred to air, this big invisible thing that ties us all together, speaking of COVID and all that stuff, this big invisible force that interconnects us. And so the great spirit is the term, but it was really just referring to air. But then when we when we decided to codify that into language and into literacy, we made up two words, etymologically speaking. We made up two words from this, this kind of idea of the great spirit. We made up the word spirit, of course, which is where we get mm. ghosts and the human spirit and you know, all of these, you know, just truly Easter Bunny level tales. Um, Something beyond us. Yeah, just it's just truly strange that we made up a thing that was beyond us. And right. then we, from that same exact idea, we made up the word psyche. So hmm. we made up the idea of a mind and we made up the idea of a spirit when actually we're just animals. We're just animals running around. It's like life is good. There's no shortage of intelligence in non-human life. There's endless, you know, and we keep being surprised. We're like, look, a dolphin can play bingo. It's like, you know what, man? Dolphins have been <laughs> circumnavigating the globe for a long time. Like they're good. Like yeah, we got to yeah. figure out, we got to figure out how to play bingo. Well, I think the difference is what you talked about, right? It's like, right. I had this last night. I had one of those nights last night where I closed yeah. my eyes And all I could think about was the infinite nature of the universe and my infinitesimally small and meaningless part of it. You know, when you 
go by cemeteries and you see, say, oh, like, good, they remember for 200 years. We're millions of years old. This doesn't matter. And, you know, and I start to terrify myself because of my own consciousness. And like you, I got to a certain point, like same as like yelling at the sun where maybe 30 yep. minutes into it, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know. So really, it doesn't make any sense for me to sit here and stress out. But we are the only species on this planet that lays down to bed at night and wonders why we're here. And I think that's the separation, right? We're the only species that tweets about it, as far as I can tell. <laughs> but but I don't know, man. Whale songs are pretty precise. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, no, exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. No, there's all the communication. It's so funny to me. Like, but and by the way, I want to couch all of this in the context of like, I am getting over COVID right now. I hate it when my body doesn't feel good and it does nothing puts me in a shitty uh, <laughs> mood more than being sick. So what you're hearing, everyone, is me just really falling into my venting place. Uh, mostly uh -huh. these days, I am pretty peaceful and I enjoy being, as you said beautifully, an infinitesimal and yet totally blissfully infinitely interconnected part of whatever this whole beast is like yeah. uh, you know i'm a tiny part but i'm the whole thing like it's all beautiful it really truly sure. is sure. i'm just feeling really frustrated that you know two and a half years in to a phenomenon that was completely controllable at its outset i am now sick and stuck in my buddy's house in LA, not getting to go home to my apartment because of 50% of us are anti-science fucking idiots. You know, like, it, like <laughs> right, that's right. just, yeah, that's just where I'm at today. It's just yeah, where I'm at, you yeah. know, Listen, <laughs> it's all love. It's all I love. love you, it's honesty. You know, why we have going that, off track. Brad, that you will all get the time. This is our couch. That's right. this, you know, oh yeah, we didn't just... even get we didn't even get on track. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love no, this. I forgot no, we started off. Called... Yeah. I love that. Well, good. When we're right in the theme of things. Good. Let's well, let's I, continue. We will. We will. I mean, well, do you realize too you're in a very exclusive club today, which is the uh -oh. Three Timers Club. Uh, no yeah. shit. This is, is this my this is, is this your my hat trick going off track? Yeah, it's my you hat were trick. episode 17 in 2012. And then your episode 282 uh, in 2017. And here you are, I believe, at, what were we at, Brad? 405 or something? This will be 405, yeah. Yeah, 405. 404. So you're on the every five-year kick. Um, Honestly, yeah. so I'm actually back. really... I feel like we should make coats or something. Jackets? Gold jackets? <laughs> I... I definitely want a little lapel pin or something. Um, <laughs> Brad, what are we going to do about this? We have to honor we'll our guests. We'll get, it's we'll like get the SNL out. five timers club. We got to, we got to give the, the repeats like a, their own live episode ball pits. Yeah, we'll figure <laughs> something out. Here, wait, keep the lapel pin, keep the lapel pin and, and take me on tour and we'll stay healthy together. And that'll all work out for everybody. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so congratulations on being in the exclusive three timers club. Do you have any, uh, the fucking going off track hat trick. I know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Brad is the only one who is here for all of them. Good for you, Brad. <laughs> I know yeah. I, I think that. it's all There's about Brad. Really? I think, yeah. <laughs> Brad is like the, uh, the silent leader, you know, 
back here. Absolutely. It's always it's always the quiet ones, man. It's always the quiet ones. Us fucking us loud mouths are just hot air, man. The quiet ones are always holding it down. Bless you, Brad. I'm, Bless you. I'm just back here pushing the buttons. That's it, man. That's it. It, it that is what the world runs on these days. So so there you're yeah. you're in a good place. Yeah. Um soon you'll well, be replaced by a bot, Brad, but for now you're very useful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, actually, I got an email from Zencaster this morning offering an AI service to replace you for a meager $4.99 a month. I told them, fuck you, but I, I quietly considered it. Um, uh, well, Jonah, actually, on the, guess, on, the, on, the, on the morning of my hat trick, I will say yeah. this. Yeah. Way back in 2012, I started working on a project and I didn't want to talk about it then. And I might have sounded a little unsteady in 2012. And then 2017, I might have sounded a little more assured, but I was probably still being a little cagey. And now I can let you know that this right now, this one line drawing entity is an actual AI that I've been working on for a while. So <laughs> you're not actually talking to me. You're talking to a neat representation based on all of my other off-track conversations in my life. I just decided to pour them in. When I heard about your podcast, I thought this is the place to try my experiment. So now what everyone is hearing is just the collected ruminations of a really wild mind, uh, just kind of on a weird little loop with a randomizer and like a little bit of swing added. Um, that's it. <laughs> you fooled me, Skynet. Yeah. Let me ask you, know? you something. If yeah, yeah. you if you had that option, like 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 say your artificial intelligence was like a soup right in front of you, and you got to throw in three minds of all time, historical minds that you could mix in with your artificial artificial intelligence soup, who would you toss in there to represent you on going off track? <laughs> Oh, I love that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Prince and Nina Simone and oh. my favorite college professor, Barry Sanders, not the football player, the literary genius. <laughs> Amazing. I think I got to get into my, Barry. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's pretty dense shit. But if you ever get the chance to his books are pretty wild um, and beautiful. They, he's actually kind of why I fell in love with this the first college course I took from him was called Orality and Literacy. And it was about uh -huh. what changed in culture when we switched from oral to literate cultures. So all of that rambling I was just doing is pretty much predicated on the stuff I learned in those classes about his, his premise for the class was every invention from literacy to the leaf blower has taken its price on our souls. <laughs> so there <Wow>. you go. <laughs> Barry Sanders. Barry motherfucking Sanders. Not number 20. Yeah, I love that. So, so I realized doing, uh, doing research for this, just on a quick side note, those are a great three. Um, oh, thanks, man. That fun. My, uh, my aunt uh, worked for the Claremont Colleges for like 20 plus years. Um, no shit, what'd she do? in Claremont. She was like the head of, uh, you know, Hillel and kind of like Jewish services for, I, I wanted to get her official title before I started. Um, yeah, for Claremont. So when I, I saw mean, that I, you I think to, I think Jew stuff is totally satisfactory. Just <laughs> overall Jew stuff. Yeah, head Jew of Jew stuff. stuff for the Claremont Colleges. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So when I saw that you went to Pitzer, I was like, oh, shit. And then wow. I also didn't realize that Greg Popovich was your basketball coach at one point, which is also really impressive. 
Yeah, it's fucking wild. Uh, between my high school and my college, I've got some fun people, especially when it comes to sports ball. I mean, I'm a Boston kid, so uh, yeah. But, uh, who went? So who went tons, to the Brookline High School? Was someone famous? Uh, oh, oh shit! Conan O'Brien, um, Robert what? Kraft for for Pats fans, uh, mm-hmm. Theo Epstein for Sox fans. Um, wow. Yeah, no, and there's some other beasties Wait, too. Robert yeah, Brooklyn, Kraft and Theo Epstein went to the same high school. Isn't that trippy? That is trippy. No, Brookline, like there's going to be Brookline a lot of like... Jews. Brookline Jews come hard. <laughs> That's right. We go fucking hard. <laughs> Are you one of those too? I didn't know you were one. I am a Jewish Sicilian. Yes. Oh, I love that. You would love my family's recipe for matzo lasagna. Wait, what? Yeah. So I have um, my my cousin Bobby Shivaroli, which, as you can tell, is not Jewish. Uh, married into my family and converted, and his beautiful mom Anne uh, and him used to contribute to Passovers with a matzo lasagna. They figured out how to make lasagna okay for Passover. Oh my and it's god! Good. You'd be want. surprised how like a wet matzo kind of tastes like a noodle. You know? Oh, I wouldn't. That that actually works for me <laughs> completely. Uh, it's a little I, mushy, I now, but I like it. I now want to do. Oh God! And now we need to do like matzo ball minestrone soup and shit. Like, there's a whole, yes. there's a whole world to. Oh my gosh! You'll enjoy this okay. concept. I the the guitar player from Thursday, the band Steve Padula. His of brother Steve, Joe I love is, Steve. Yeah, yeah. His brother Joe is also a drummer. Was in uh, a great band called We're All Broken for years, and I toured with them. And our concept was a catering service called Mozzarella Balls. And Amazing. that would be our Jew Italian catering service with a bunch of hybrid hybrid uh, animals there, which I like. Italian anyway. kind of kind of bridges a gap, you know. Actually, uh, you sort of bridge a gap, just like inside of yourself. I do. I, I bridge. Yeah. I bridge. I think my whole life is about bridging many gaps. <laughs> I think between yeah. musical genres, between uh, ethnicities, between. Genders. I think I'm just like a weird like gap bridger. Um, yeah. I, I think that's. I, I've thought a lot about my, you know, the nature of my existence, and if there is any philosophical sort of center, like through line, it's something about being in the middle of things and blending them. So Jutalian sounds like the greatest thing in the world to me. It's. I think it's all I would ever eat. There is definitely a point in your life I would not have wanted to get into an argument with you, I'd assume. Oh, my fucking God. Thank you for... <laughs> yeah, I, there's a point in my life when I never want to think about the stupid arguments I got into, but it's good. It serves me well because now I catch myself right before I'm going to get into them and I just think of me being a fucking idiot and just <laughs> stopping. I mean, actually, no. It's not that I wasn't correct. It's just that I was such a fucking dick. Right, oh, right. The approach. The approach. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, again, like little, just a fucking, a little bit of small guy syndrome, a mm. little bit of weird, like, just like Boston kid, a little bit of misfit, troubled childhood anger, and and then a lot of kind of like, well, I think small person who kind of had to make his way through the world through intelligence I've never been in a fistfight, but good Lord, have I leveled some people with words. And looking back on it, yeah. it just feels like I was, you know, it's the whole thing. I was just 
being mean to myself as much as I was being mean to anyone else. Uh, I mean, and, you know, it's fine. Like, you know. Yeah, I know something, you know, I know a little about your background just being as a fan. But when we're talking here, it does seem I know, you know, with the Jewish background, you you know, you told me you grew up in or you didn't tell me, but I've heard that you, you raised yeah. a bit of a hippie scenario, you know, where there's music around and hippies around and kind of a little counterculture thought. Like, was that really, um, uh, not in, in line with what was going on in like your neighborhood and stuff growing up? Is that part of the reason you, you found such a strong, like self identity like that? You think? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't, I wonder. Um, I remember, I remember somewhere late in high school starting to be, (laughs) it sounds so strange. And so apologies to all the golfers out there, but (laughs) I remember when my friends started playing golf and, and as it happens, Mm -hmm. one of my first friends who started playing golf was also is, uh, is 84 and Dukakis is running for president. And, uh, and you know, and Dukakis, Dukakis, I believe is another Brookline high graduate, by the way. Um, uh, and, uh, and so and this kid was talking about voting for Bush. And again, this is like a little high school me, but I just remember feeling like, oh no, I'm losing my friends to this thing that turns all the grownups into assholes. Um, mm. And I think I just got really upset at that point because even then, it's not that difficult to trace a lot of history things. It, it leads to some uncomfortable conversations, but it's not a... You just, you know, just read people's history. It's all very well documented stuff. But when you realize that, when I realized as a, as a teen that a lot of people were not interested in uncomfortable conversations, <laughs> yeah, it depressed the shit out of me mm-hmm. um, and it got me really angry. And then I think I got stuck in some loop of really trying to force people's faces into uncomfortable conversations that they didn't want to get into. Right, right. You almost wear it as like a badge of honor, right? Yeah. So I just, I had to kind of, it took me a long time. And also like I did a bunch of drugs when I was a kid and was kind of a wreck. And then I got sane in a lot of ways. I kind of got through that and, and stayed alive. But my drug became people. Um, it hmm. became being worried about what they thought of me. And it also became about Mm. controlling them and their stupid opinions. And I just took on a lot of, it was all, I mean, actually we're back to this thing of why people invent their narratives. I was just so, I really needed to be right about things. And fortunately I was empirically correct, but it didn't make it pleasant for me or anyone else. And it didn't do me any good until I started to explore like, oh shit, I'm going to die and we're all going to die and I better soften my heart a little bit or I'm just going to end up kind of this angry human. And I just really didn't right. want to do that. Like teen sure. angst, teen angst is fine, but it does not age well. No, um, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, yeah I, I had to kind of get it together. Basically it was, um, it was a, it was kind of a, it was a good, it was a good thing for me to go through and I'm lucky I went through it relatively young. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, it's just, it's just frustrating. It's, it's, 
I, my personal issues aside, it's just a sad thing for me. All I've ever really wanted to do is have open-hearted, vulner- I literally learned this in therapy with my mom recently. All I've ever really wanted was to have open-hearted, vulnerable conversations. Uh, yeah. That's kind of the only thing that I think language is useful for. And that's, I think, why I love songwriting so much. Mm-hmm. But when people don't want to engage in that, I honestly don't understand what I'm doing there because then it's just this weird small talk, keeping each other feeling comfortable thing. And I just don't, I don't understand it. And then I get scared. And then what used to happen when I got scared was I would get really angry and judgmental. And I was just feeling lonely and sad and I wanted company. Uh Like, uh, and I was just talking yesterday with someone about my earliest songs that I wrote and they were all about communication and get it off your back. And, um, and really just about like, I was just this, little fucker like trying to find someone to engage with on a like a deep level and that's it's i found that pretty hard to come by in the world and i Mm -hmm. like i said i spent a a lot of time i think being really um angsty about that and now i've accepted it and i just kind of love myself the best i can and try and have my good conversations and the minute it's wandering into that territory where i feel my exit as you just said my anxiety rising i just kind of like take a breath and and wish the person well. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I pretty much ditched social media for a while for that very reason and reset. And now the way I engage with it is essentially saying, here's some music I made, please support me. I love you. Like, and that's all I got, you know, like I'm not, I'm just not interested in trying to whatever, educate the world anymore. (laughs) Yeah. No, I really relate to what you're saying. I think I went through a bit of a similar process in my life where, you, um, I, I'm going to say, even my wife asked me this week, she's like, you really just don't like small talk, do you? I'm like, no. I, and same as you, I'm like, if I, by the end of this conversation, don't understand something else about the world, didn't learn something, didn't get to express myself or hear someone express themselves, I don't really see the point. Unless someone wants to bring up basketball. That's where sports took on a very cool thing for me. That's like my safe place that I always bring conversations to if, if, uh, you know, if things go awry, but I think what you said, Hey, Benny, Jonah, is he breaking up for you? Um, he sounds like a rad, um, T-Pain song. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was ready for the, for the remix, man. I was into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I gave up on my singing career a long time ago. You know, I thought maybe you know how you put those filters on um, on your face when you do Zoom calls and stuff. <laughs> I thought maybe you had like an audio filter. Yeah. I did it not unintentionally. You know, I am uncomfortable with the sound of my own voice. It, but you know, it might actually be Jonah that the eternal AI that is the internet because it is a huge conscious brain network was pissed at you for fucking around about oh, your AI see Benny is spitting, Benny is spitting <laughs> such brutal truth that the internet cannot fucking hang <laughs> shut it down Benny, what is <laughs> Benny is literally being filtered and canceled in real time by the AI. <laughs> oh, Skynet. No, I'm your friend. It's mad at me because I have an iPhone 5. 
It's like I love I love the melody of language so much, and I love hearing the melody of your language. <laughs> I'm your friend. <laughs> Are we gonna? <laughs> Now this is this is what I want out of a third time on going off track. This is all I need. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you know when you came on today, it sounded like you needed a fun, honestly, this has been existential conversation. Benny, this has been the best medicine. Brad, you have been the most like perfect companion. I actually literally feel better than I have all morning. Just getting to vent with you and then getting to laugh with you and then dealing with T-Pain. It's all somehow, <laughs> it's such good medicine. So whatever happens with this you know, broadcaster, if we have to do it again, I just want you to know that it's been wildly valuable to my mental health. So I appreciate you. I okay. love that. And I think we we actually found a new universal truth, which is <laughs> T-Pain helps the world go round. Oh, yes. It, right, well, it, it, you yeah. sound good now, dude. So let's uh, not talk about what we were talking good. about. Benny, right, be well, careful. Don't, Benny, don't be too smart. <laughs> don't be too smart. Just okay, just let's let's right. let's have an average conversation about rock and roll the way we're supposed right. to. All let's right. not I'll talk about anything. Hey, oh. hey, I, I remind you. I, oh. <laughs> I think you're going to have to do a full reboot. I think you're going to have to reboot. <laughs> I love you two so much right now. I got to say this is the most I've laughed in like a week. Now that we sound good, I do want to hear your opinion on this because yes, we yes. were talking about me discovering the fact that my anxiety actually makes me talk a lot. And then yeah. when I discovered this, it made me feel a little more comfortable with like being alone and my own anxiety, understanding it a little bit better. Mm. Did, did you have the same type of thing? Yeah, I mean, the thing that comes to mind when you talk about that is that I think because I'm a performer, because I'm a singer, because I'm a front man, um, I, I presumed that I was sort of closer to the extrovert side of things. And it just ain't true. Um, I'm a fucking introvert. I go out there and I do what I do and I love what I do. But the truth of it is, I would rather be alone with my songs or with a couple of really close friends. Um, and so that's the main thing for me. And, and But I like what you said about anxiety and talking too much because it makes me rethink a lot of those shows and stupid arguments. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I think I think it was about that. I think it was about being on stage and being nervous already and then having someone be an idiot and just fucking laying into them and not realizing that I was just feeling anxious. It's very, is this like the years you were like opening for Sepultura and shit like that? It was more like opening for like Juliana theory than Sepultura where this happened. Um, Oh really? The sweater crowd got you worse? Well, just the, the, that, that, you know, that closet evangelical Christian at the indie show thing. Oh, yeah, I didn't like that either. Um, and then post-2001, I remember being on tour with Further Seems Forever and just hearing the worst, worst possible takes on post-9-11 politics from audience members. And, you know, just when, you, when you've got a little fucking tooth and nail devotee talking about 
ragheads, you're really not having a good show. Yeah, just horrible yeah. shit. Horrible shit. It's it's horrifying, especially in the last like four years, how many people I learned were kind of like punks in disguise. I know, know, it's, I know so it's so depressing. Oh, so I'm like, oh man, I thought you was real. <laughs> I know. It's like, really you had an exploited really... <laughs> t-shirt ten years ago. Come on. You know, that meant nothing. It you turns really out there. Turns out they really just thought it was like pro exploitation, right? Right, right, right. They're like, yeah, yeah. I love, I love big labor. Yeah, <laughs> but really, in essence, it was probably like, yo, my arms look jacked this summer. I need to like cut the sleeves off a shirt, like some real artificial bullshit. You know? <laughs> no, it really. It's been a depressing time for finding out how. Oh God, we're back to people being lunatics. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. But yeah, I, I like that. I, I have had a lot of thoughts about, I used to think I was a more extroverted person that really enjoyed that. And now I've discovered that I really do love a real actual conversation. But other than that, I would rather just shut up and sing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you found took, you found your expression, you know? It took, you while, you yeah. it took me a while, yeah. Yeah, it took me a while, but I finally have settled into it. I think actually... To be real, that's what this whole record has been about, like making it over COVID and stuff was just re-remembering what it is that I want to do in the world and that I, where I don't want to spend my energy, as in like arguing with other people and where I do want to spend my energy, which is just making shit and being an animal. Well, it seems like you took ownership over that part of your career in a way, because, you know, when I look through your site and, you know, it seems like you're really building community just sort of digitally now. Um, yep. What's like, what's your approach with the website and kind of the pay what you want to connect with the fans and, and really having that engagement off social media? Like what have been the upsides and downsides to that approach? Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the thing I've always loved about the internet is the personal part. And, um, it definitely, the last couple of years brought a return to that where I just decided I did not want to spend a bunch of energy feeding algorithms. And I just wanted to say, Hey world, I'm over here. If you want to hang out and if you want to support me in this, then I would love that. And I'm going to make a shit ton of music and write some stuff and keep doing my thing. And I, that's the beautiful side to it is what people have showed up for that. And I think the sad part has been kind of watching this, this whole industry I grew up in really uh, just turn into a a much more co- commodified thing. And speaking of personal interaction, it's just, it's kind of sucks um, how commodified it is. Cause I really just liked hanging out, but the noise has gotten so big that I just kind of want to hide in my corner and I want people to come and visit me voluntarily. Um, so yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange time in our existence, but it's all right. Yeah. Cause I'm starting to wonder, you know, if, you know, now that it's been in a little bit of a longer timeline here, like even, um, an artist I'm going to talk to next week, I, I saw has the same approach off social media, creating kind of the, uh, you know, something else on the side. And I'm wondering if now this is sort of the, the division in which independent and alternative music winds up in this place and the Twitter sphere and the Twitch sphere and the things that are going over there are just going to be more for mainstream music and pop music. Like, like, are we going back to the fanzine here? 
you know, where we need to separate it and you can still make your art to a community that needs it and maybe just abandon this other side of it. Uh, that's a really great and ultimately optimistic take on it. I hope that's the, the way it's going. Um, I like that. I'm going to actually just stick with that. Uh, <laughs> Good. It's uh, right. yeah, because yeah, that's the way the internet, that, right? the internet, that's the way the internet, the way the internet started. started and, then, and then, yeah, right. Sort of the, the data hoarders wanted to hoover it all up. Anything that got any attention or interaction or, or anything around it, they, they wanted. And, and now they've discovered that music is actually relatively worthless compared to many other forms of entertainment in the marketplace. And so maybe they'll just leave like, yeah, this, these little indie songs to just us again. That would be really sweet. I, all I would love is like the tools given to artists to easily do a DIY life and anyone that wants to support them gets to support them in a really reasonable, simple, friction-free way and no one steals data and we just hang out. That would be so sweet. I would like that. So yes, I'm, I'm with you. I like your vision of utopia. I'm in it. Well, I mean, because your website still offers you something like you didn't have in the 90s, you know, which was universal access to your fans. Like, you know, and I think social media maybe did provide that at some point. But with all culture and tech, there's just like an overcorrection, you know, it went yep. too far. Yep. It's gone too far, clearly. Yep. And, you know, the people who actually think for themselves and want to focus on on art and culture and things that are important on that side, we're just going to have to go somewhere else. That's fine. I love it. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of all I've been doing anyway. So if the, if the world keeps coming that way, then, then cool. Uh, I, I kind of, I hit a point recently where I just, I don't know. I just really want to, I just really want to make stuff and hang out with sweet people. And that sounds so simple but ultimately so much of the energy that goes towards being a viable artist in the marketplace these days has really very little to do with that. Um, and so I'm just kind of doing my thing and, and ho I, I've been kind of daring my music career as it is to, to die for a while. I've been like, I'm going to do this my way. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, but, but I've seen so many people with so much success be so unhappy that I'm like, well, I'm not going down that road. Um, so I don't know, man. I like, I, I, I'm enjoying your take on things though. I think I would like to replace my brain with your brain this morning. Well, let's just combine them. Okay. Deal. Okay. Deal. You know, this is a brain mold. This is how things actually work. You know, I, I bring this up a lot because it's important to me. I have a friend who really believes like I, I was basically giving him a very, very depressing take on things one night, you know, especially with my relationship to playing music. And he truly yeah. believes that when you play a concert and you do it a certain way, it emanates something that goes to other people and that goes out. And whether it's like physically tangible or just spiritual, that it makes an impact in the world, you know? So I think the way you're approaching it uh, is, is true and good. How do you find the pay as you go thing though? Like, do you ever sit at home and see one come in and you're like, come on, motherfucker. Like it's a song. Like it was, wasn't it worth more than like a buck to you? 
yeah, I really stay away from that stuff because it 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 leads to terrible places in my mind. Um, <laughs> right. I try to keep, try it, to keep it real simple. I yeah, I tend to not do those sort of like digital busking live streamy things. Um, yeah, I've tried right, them. Right, right. Uh, digital busking. That's funny. It's, it's, it's just a little, it's a little strange. So I'll do, I would much, it's sort of like regular shows for me. I would much rather do a little show where people actually ponied up a few bucks at the beginning of it. And I don't have to talk about money during it. And we just hang out. Um, that's, that's sort of my, my thing. And my little monthly thing is, is great. Uh, be, not because there's so many people a part of it, because I know that the people that are a part of it have really voluntarily chosen it. Um, right. Yeah, and, sure. And I just really enjoy being with people who want to be with me. <laughs> it's a wild concept. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm just kind of... Yeah, it's a really... Life feels very simple to me right now, and on some days it feels real sad, and then some days it feels really sweet. But either way... I think I know how the machinations work at this point. And now it's just being okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like the wisdom of an adult, you know? Just, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> it's uh, a life's work. It's a life's work and it's day by day and conversations like this really help, honestly. Good. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I got to talk about one thing before I get too off track again and don't get to ask the question. Love so it, love it. the new end original song, Lukewarm, is an all-time favorite of mine. Like, mm. like not all-time favorite of your songs, like an all-time favorite song. Mm. Um, I play drums to it all the time. 
And there's uh, a few, there's a number of songs that like, if I'm in the right mood, I get really emotional when I play them. I sing along. Sometimes mm. I cry. I know it's weird. But I know I'm no, the same way. It's not weird. Um, so I wanted to know <laughs> this being such an important song to me, can you take me behind uh, writing it and putting together that, that particular track? Yeah, I, it is one of those songs that I remember the genesis of it incredibly clearly. And I remember where I was when it was being written, which usually happens for the songs that tend to last and stay in my head and heart and seem to stay in other people's heads and hearts too. It's interesting. Um, so I was having a conversation with this dude, uh, you know, friend of the family who was one of the hippies playing in the living room when I was growing up. Um, and he had, he had gone on to do all sorts of crazy business ventures. He essentially accidentally invented that, uh, remember that shit where you'd cross your eyes and you'd, you'd see the 3d picture and the dots. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, he invented yeah. that. I mean, Magic he didn't, eye? he didn't necessarily invent the technology, but he was working at the company that was using the technology for something very unfun. And he was like, man, people would really enjoy this. And everyone thought he was stupid, and then he did it. Um, and so he oh made a shit ton of change, and then uh, and then went on to other adventures. And he's a he's a weird dude. But well, we were talking, um, and he, I, I said, "Well, shit. So what's next?" You know, he was he was then, huh? I guess he was then a little older than I am now. But I was kind of asking, like, so what? What about the back nine? What do you got? And he just said, I never want to say my best days are behind me. That's all I know. And the minute he said it, I just thought, okay, that's a fucking chorus. And and it felt like exactly where I was and all I really wanted to stick to in this life. And then it was one of those things that I'm sure you're familiar with where I had this real sweet idea and then I had to figure out how to make a song around it that was as good as that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so you then it was like gold there. Yep. It was a lot of sitting on the couch after that. And it was just, I think I probably heard the melody. I never want to say my best days are behind me. I probably heard that real early. And then I had to go, well, fuck, what's the chorus that gets me to that part where that's the payoff? Um, and so then it was a bit of actually a bit of what we're talking about, which is that in this world where everyone's addicted to certainty, you know, um, and addicted to having a happy life and all the places that place that leads us to, I just wanted to find a place where I was just existing and unsure and not relying on any one ideology or another to have truth. And that's what the verses are about. Uh, with my little, with my little, uh, I'm Ivri, Bruchat Hashem, little Jewy shout out, shout which is out. always fun. <laughs> um, because, and that really was, uh, aside from being a little Jewy shout out, it was also Hashem, you know, as, as Jews know, is, but just means the name. And I, I love that because it's such a sweet, broad, agnostic way of talking about whatever the fuck it is that makes us. 
And so I really enjoy that take on it. And then the the bridge, which is one of my favorite parts of the song, that there is a summer, it's all the time for every one of us, which is kind of where I tend to get emotional in that track. Um, that one was just, it's so great. We're really circling back to all the judgmental fighty stuff because all I wanted to do is assure people that I'm not here to judge you. I actually just want to be in this life together and having joy together. And I really wish you love. Um, and so I, 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 that, that arrived for that. And then, yeah, then it was just kind of pop, you know, just pop melodies and relative minor pre-choruses for the win. And how, how like, how together was that song when you presented it? How, how was even new and original writing songs? Cause you weren't all in the same place, right? Those songs, this, uh, so it's the 20th anniversary of a record called visitor this year. Um, and it was of course the 20th anniversary of thriller last year. And in 2000, there was one record that was going to happen that was called Visitor. And I was doing one line drawing. And then, and I was showing Norman, Norman Brennan, um, EF fucking legend as a human and as an artist. Um, I was showing him these songs and just going, hey, kind of, what do you think are the, the, the gems out of this batch? And the batch was pretty much all the songs you know of on Visitor, all the songs you know of on Thriller. Like, so I wrote all of those back to front. Yeah, and so those were all done, but then he took Lukewarm, Better Than This, Hostage in particular, and really changed the... the just these... not not anything big about the song, but just like these little tweaks to them that, and he's just so fucking brilliant at that. And then of course, you know, you bring in fucking Charlie on drums and you've got a whole new situation. Um, definitely so part of the reason I love that track. Is oh, Charlie fuck. Yes. Drums. Good yeah, Lord. Sure. Good Lord. His, his playing on that track is just so full of life. Yeah. It's so wonderful. It's, crisp. it's perfect. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, exactly. It's free. It's free. That's a beautiful, just simple way to say it. Um, so yeah, it, what really got added was more this, this human element. I was had all these songs in my head and Norman helped me, take the ones that he was the most attracted to and turn them into like more rock band songs, which is again, what I, my initial vision for visitor, the whole reason I was calling it visitor was because I wanted it to be where I would take my songs and then go around to different bands that I loved and say, Hey, let's play this song together. Let's be a band for one song. Yeah, and so I still kind of want to do that, actually. I'm actually thinking of taking my favorite tracks off of both Visitor and Thriller and doing a record called A Thrilling Visit and kind of revisiting <laughs> that concept. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> so I, you, you might be my first call, knowing what you feel about that. Um, Yo, I'm up for it. Cool. Yeah, so, so anyway, so yeah, it was all about me and Norman and uh, me trusting in him and going for it but in in terms of the songs the lyric the melodies the changes those that's all me that's awesome
And, yeah. and then once it came all together is did it like, I always wonder, <clears throat> you know, I, I have this issue too. When you're just in the, the midst of a batch of songs and, you know, you get so familiar with them, you start to kind of lose focus on what's, what's a standout, what's good. What's you get a little, gets a little confusing. Did you yeah. always know that one was like a real good one? Like did, did it always, uh, was it like a domino song that made you, you know, helped you with other songs or was it just another one you were like, yeah, I think it's good. I hope it's uh, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because I remembered so clearly the genesis of it. I kind of, right. I, I had yeah. the feeling that it had something. And I would say that those songs for me, those moments, those songs, those are, a pro- they're a problem for me sometimes because they set the bar at this place and then I've got to fucking figure out what else is going to be as good as them. So that's where Norman came in handy and he is just such a, a great sobering presence when I've got a lot of ideas. And also I'm a songwriter that I tend to have at least a period of really falling in love with the songs I write at least for a couple of weeks. And so for, there's a couple of weeks when I write everything where I'm like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. And then, you know, I have to take a couple of months and figure out that it's not, and you know, work on the chorus. chorus. Um, How do you figure that out? What's your process of, of figuring that out? I think playing it for, I think sharing it with other people. um, Yeah. yeah. Even just one person in the room singing a song, it can let me know when I've been lazy about a lyric and I need to fix it because I get a little cringy and I'm like, no, okay, go back. So you need to see it from the outside in a little bit. There's something about it. I kind of, I use whatever that thing is of having a witness, whatever feeling that brings, I kind of use that as a next level filter. And then for me, I think it's just time. I think a long time ago, I learned that the songs are going to keep coming. I just got to be patient. And in fact, if I rush through them, then I tend to look back on them a couple years later and not enjoy them very much. But when I take the time and do a couple demos and let other people in, and usually those are the ones that en- that end up lasting. Um uh, but uh, lukewarm, you know, for that one, lukewarm, I will say, honestly, from the minute I heard that sentence and wrote it into a melody, I thought, this is a fucking banger. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that's and that's not I will. I do not say that about the vast majority of the shit that I write, even if it does turn out later that I really love it. Lukewarm was an early an early winner for sure. There's no way around it. Oh, it's a nice feeling. There's so much indifference, you know, in doing this. It's nice when you. Yes. It's yes. nice when you kind of know, you know, every once in a while. It, yeah, really, yeah, just yeah, you get one easy one. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, that's a dinger. Good. All right. Um, does that often happen to you, where a, uh, you know, a conversation, inspiring conversation, a uh, someone just drops like one of those sentences where you're like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, like does, oh yeah, no, does that I, I often start a song for you. I've written like three songs about anxiety and extroversion and dystopia right now already. Yes. Um, or has your AI written them or you? Who's working right now? I'm not sure. That's what the next that's song, the is, next about. song is about. Um, no. Uh, yes. Conversations are really, really a big deal for me. I love the music of language and I, I pretty much... I have an active filter on listening for it now where I hear a, someone says a sentence that has a musical lilt to it. 
And it almost immediately, I hear a melody at this point, and then I kind of suss it out and check it out. So yeah, dialogue is real important for me. And I think just the opposite of dialogue, as in being incredibly, incredibly quiet, is the other thing that's really helpful for me. When I can really just lay back on the couch with my guitar and just let go of all the bullshit, something does seem to come through when I get quiet enough. Yeah. I love that idea of people who talk musically. I've never really thought about it like that, but there are, yeah, there, there are some people who just talk in a way that's, that's musical. It's, it's a really cool way to put it. I think my mom was like that. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a book called the spell of the sensuous, which is uh, super worth checking out for anyone who loves language and its effects on our brains. Um, but one of the things they talked about was that they analyzed the speech of old friends kind of hanging out for the first time in a while and compared it to bird songs and realized that the words being spoken weren't really even as important as the the melodies that were being spoken and the rhythm of the language. Um, so it was really, really sweet. Um, so I, 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 But yes, yeah, some people do have a particularly musical lilt to their speech, which is, which is beautiful. Yeah. Is there someone that comes to mind that you just love listening to them talk? Well, it's funny. I mean, this guy, Tom, who was responsible for putting that phrase in in my brain and therefore in the song, he has always had a very comforting voice to me. And I've never honestly, till this moment, uh, thought about that, but I think it, he does have a comforting voice. Um, who else has a real like sweet voice? I think my friend Amutabi has a really, really, I love being on the phone with him. We talk a lot and I, it, it, there's just, I think there's something about his voice that, yeah, just kind of quiets me down. Um, let's see, who else has a voice like that? That's a good, that's a good one. What about a famous person or someone you like listening to? Mm, another yeah, yeah, singer yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that? Not Joe hmm. Rogan. Oh my fucking god, that guy! Oh <laughs> Wait, let's not go there. I should have said. Nope, nope. Just I'm just gonna let it. I'm gonna let it echo off into the distance. Woo, I like doing uh, that every once in a while though, because the AI definitely pegged us for like liberals. So if I if I say something like Joe Rogan, but say it in a real like kind of tough voice like that, <laughs> then I feel like. <laughs> Like, I'll just, here, I'm going to fuck with the AI right now. You know don't. what? No, I'm not even going to say it. I don't want to get sound clipped. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't I don't do want to get sound clipped. <laughs> oh, We're, everything smarter. is going, going so well. Smarter. All right. Um, all right. Celebrities stop. whose voice I love. I, I, I guess I'll say that uh, I think Scarlett Johansson's best performance ever was in her, where she was just a voice. Ah. Um, I thought... Yeah, fucking beautiful and all too prophetic flick. Um, that that movie changed a lot for me. Actually, speaking of AIs, and um, I remember specifically writing a thing right after seeing that flick where I thought and talked about this strange deal we've made with computers, where we basically asked them to do some work for us and then got in this race with them where we're definitely going to lose because all the things that we as animals and as entities are 
good at, we will never be as good at counting to a million really fast than a computer, but a computer will never get to the complexities of the way we exchange pheromones and regulate temperatures together and exist as animals. And, and definitely the way that, that Armageddon is going to go down is that a lot of us are going to trade this strange facsimile of an experience that's computer generated for the much more complex and interesting, and I guess at times difficult or uncomfortable existence of actually life. Um, so it's a strange, it's a strange, so her really, uh, really fucked me up. But anyway, Scarlett's voice was a big part of that for me. I thought it was a perfect choice for that voice. Um, yeah, that, that, that's the main one that comes to mind in recent history, but I think I just love, I think I got daddy issues. I think I love a cool, gravelly male voice. Um, well, sure. I mean, God bless Tom Waits. Good Lord. Uh, he's a really, he's a really good one. Um, I think there's a reason that, you know, Morgan Freeman makes all that money. Um, <laughs> yeah. he's got, he's got a really sweet, luscious, velvety voice. Um, who else are really good r rascal voice actors? I, it's so funny. I can't, I like, I can, I'm like scrolling through faces right now. Um, I think Mickey Rourke and Rumblefish had a really beautiful take on language. Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember that flick, but it's a, he does, he speaks in this, very soft, almost effeminate tone, and it, it just super hypnotizing. Uh, anyway, uh, what about you? You got any? You got any good ones? I'm trying. You know, it's funny. I I really like uh, Andrew Wheel's voice. You know. Oh yeah, nice, yeah one. nice one. Yeah, because um, I I randomly found his breathing exercises like ten or fifteen years ago when I was going through some existential crisis uh and i only knew him as this like big bearded guy who who was like into integrative medicine and stuff and then found out more that i'm like oh you went to like college with timothy leary and like you know we're doing lsd experiments in like the early 60s and cool stuff like that so now that i know that there's like uh, my attraction to the voice, but now the knowledge of the wisdom helps the voice like ring truer, you know, um, I love that, I love that. that means something to me. It's like the reason why Louis CK's comedy can't be funny to me anymore. Like e even if the, because the context is ruined. Uh, on, on the yeah, it's so sad. It's sad. He yeah. was one of the smartest, most wise people we had going and he just, oh God. He killed himself. I don't really. He feel really too did. Bad. Just full on criminals want to get caught. Ridiculous behavior. Just so, and just from trauma, just from whatever. It just, it's just another sad, sad story. Here's uh, yeah. a happy story. Yeah. I want. I, I want to Yay. get back to a, a happier Yay. story. Well, it's just something I'm interested in as a, you know, an amateur student of hardcore and punk. You know. I always found your scene, Sacramento and Far and Deftones in particular, two of the forerunners and kind of, you know, blending, you know, ultra heavy riffs, almost like drop down, breakdown types of beats, but with this almost kind of 
you know, whispered and very emotional, you know, lyrical and melodic thing going on. And then I refound your cover of um, Jawbox, uh, Savory, who on the East Coast, I thought was one of our examples of the same type of combination of music coming together. Like, I'm really fascinated at, in your eyes, where that was coming from for you all. Was it like an, an intentional thing where we're like, yo, we're mixing this type of stuff and it's interesting? Or was it just a fallout of of what you were all into and the, the music you were listening to? Well, speaking for myself, having never been a, uh, you know, big ass air quotes man in a way that I perceive sort of other men to be, I never fit into that. I was never big enough and strong enough and tough enough. And so... I think I've, I just was like as into and influenced by female singers as any male singer um, ever. And so uh, from the very early age, I was learning to sing, listening to women as much as I was learning to sing by listening to men. Um, ah, gosh. Really early days. Uh, I'm going to say... Joni Mitchell um, and Billie Holiday and kind of things that I heard in my youth. Uh, I, um, and then as I was getting more into songwriterly age, Suzanne Vega's voice was a big one because it was a little bit androgynous and lower. So that worked for me. Then there was um, Sinead O'Connor's voice was a huge, huge deal to me um, when she appeared on the scene. Uh, a woman called Ricky Lee Jones was a big deal. And I would say most recently in my life, my probably my biggest musical influence and artistic influence of the last bunch of years is Nina Simone. Um, yeah, so, so for me, I've definitely been influenced by male vocalists, but it's almost like I find myself on the same, you know, I've been compared to Mike Patton and Eddie Vedder and all, you know, all these people over the years. And I, you know, I don't, I don't not see similarities. And I certainly went through a, you know, an, an early nineties, uh, phase where I thought it was like cool to sing with marbles in your mouth. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. You know, we all, we all, or I, I grew out of it and it's, it's cool, but it, it was almost like by association and I've always really enjoyed finding, I think a place I just basically don't believe in gender. I don't believe in binary gender. And so with my voice, I'm really interested in inhabiting a place where it's not really a man or a woman. It's just kind of some creature that's in between. Um, so that's, yeah. So I've always been just kind of fascinated by that. And when it came to rock, I think the nineties were a cool time of no one really knew what was going on. And so things were wide open. Um, in terms of what was going to be cool or interesting. And there were so many genres of music kind of getting all mushed together. And I remember, well, shit, I, I left out such a huge one from this very time of Sacto. The human that Chino and I in particular were both in love with that caused us to do all this soft, weird crooning over riffy shit was PJ Harvey. Um, yeah, I mean, she. if you want to find a missing link between Chino and I, like a place where we meet um it's pj harvey 
That's yeah. fascinating and makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 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 That's a sweet question. Yeah. So when, when early on, when, how, how small were foreign Deftones when you, when you met each other, like, like literally at the inception of the bands? Oh yeah, very, oh, yeah, very literally. Very, I mean, yeah. so so you were really influencing each other. I came to yeah, I came to Sacto in ninety one. Uh huh. And Deftones were already doing pretty good, and Far started playing our first shows, and so I didn't know anyone, so I don't really know who knew who, but. Far was pretty popular right off the bat, purely because our drummer was still in high school, um, and and he was this impossibly beautiful, gifted drummer, and so all of the all of his friends would come out to see us, and so we had a built-in audience, and so I think that probably got us on bills and stuff quickly, having nothing to do with Deftones, but yeah, we were no one was anywhere near playing outside of Sacramento yet. Basically, I mean, we were you know, sharing a little garage and yeah, the whole thing. Um, it was, so it was a very, and Sheena was already, it's funny, actually, I'll, I'll say this. The first Deftones demo that I heard had a tune called Guest on it that was really, truly sing-songy. And I think he was more, it was more, you know, it was actually looking back, very Smashing Pumpkins influence and stuff. So it was him kind of doing the Billy Corgan thing. Um, but he and I both found PJ Harvey. I remember, shit, I remember when Fake Plastic Trees came out uh, and was played on the radio, Chino called me and asked me if it was um, like a, a recent demo of mine because it sounded oh, wow. to, him, to him, to him, Tom York sounded so much like me. Um, so I would like to think that the effect I had on everyone from whatever, Thursday to, De- to, uh, to Deftones, to Incubus, and sort of the, the more rock bands is that is the idea of a chorus, and the idea of a melody, and the idea of singing a little bit softer and and giving a little more kind of space to it and less rap rock and more chorus. Um, and yeah, so I think that's what I brought to it. But I also know that, again, she and I both really loved as much as we love screamy shit we really loved croony shit too i suppose his big croony influence would probably be simon lebon and that wasn't really mine um but i recognized that in him oh um, yeah i could hear that i could hear yeah, that. yeah um yeah the fact is i mean chino could always do things that i couldn't with his voice so i feel a little bit lucky because I, I i don't feel like i was particularly influenced by him i was already kind of doing what i was doing but he did help me feel more comfortable singing in a more effeminate, effeminate and soft way um, because I had company and someone else that was doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And somebody yeah. who seemed to always kind of uh, present it with confidence, like right, he seemed to always kind of present it with a not like a will you like me attitude, but kind of like a little bit of a fuck you, this is what I'm doing kind of attitude. At least that's what it seems like from the outside. Yeah, Chino, I definitely remember. We we just had a lot of fun growing up together and learning how to be front people together. I remember 
in particular, he was playing a kind of a bigger venue. He played a thing called the Crest in Sacramento before we had done that. And we were up in the balcony of this like old theater and watching him. And he was still looking down at the, at the pit, which was great and everything. But I realized that neither of us had learned to look up into an audience and look up into the sky. We were so used to playing to these tiny little rooms that we didn't understand what it was to really take up some space. And I I believe that he and I talked about that after that show. um, And it kind of changed some things for both of us. So things like that would happen. We'd get to observe each other. And I certainly learned from shit. I remember seeing Rage Against the Machine uh, open for Pearl Jam at the Warfield and their first record wasn't even out, but the way Zach De La Rocha commanded a stage at that time uh, changed a lot for me. Um, just, just it didn't like you know. Obviously, I've <laughs> I've never tried to sound like Zach De La Rocha. Uh, Chino, Chino, and Chino and Zach share more in that because they can both do something like being an MC. Um, I'm glad I've, you never really tried to rap. Yeah, me yeah, too. Me too. I adore hip hop. I grew up on it as much as anyone, but I, yeah. I even before even I knew the phrase cultural appropriation, <laughs> I just knew it wasn't a great place to hang out. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and not that, you know, for all like any white rappers out there, if you're doing it beautifully and like we're at a different time now, but at the time, I just, I was not interested in Limp Bizkit. You know, that's all I can uh, say. It was a, yeah, tough fucking sell, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not, not for me. <laughs> not for me. For millions of other people, clearly, but not for me. Yeah, yeah. You ever have, like, the urge to to get as heavy as far was again? Oh, hell yeah. And I mean, I think one of the, the things that, that maybe you and as people in general don't know is that there are there have been projects along the way where I did a thing called I is another with Ian Love from rival schools that was basically songs that he was writing for rival schools. And then he left rival schools and then he sent them to me. And there's a, there's a track on that called shake, which is, is fucking serious Screamland. Um, and, uh, there's some other pretty heavy moments on that little EP um, and then I recently did a thing called Kamora with uh, Jay and Zach Jawbox. And some of it's kind of dreamy, post-rocky stuff. And it's not necessarily all as heavy as far or anything, but it definitely gets up there dynamically. And I most recently did a, a well, an un, there's an unreleased thing, actually, that, that hopefully will come out soon. That's uh, a collab with this guy in Chicago that is starts out real dreamy and then gets incredibly incredibly heavy so i grandpa emo can still bring it just let just let it be known um uh, i i um and i still adore it it's just really about it's about finding the right songs i mean the fact is that sean brought some fucking wonderful riffs chris beat the shit out of his drums johnny played this beautiful growly bass and it was just super fun to ride that wave. Um, yeah, Sean has some fucking epic riffs on those. Riffs. Yes, yeah. big yes. ass riffage. Like yes, sure. and so for me, it was just, just honestly trying to do honor to that. I, I, I just all my singing has ever been about is delivering whatever mood I think the song is demanding that I deliver. Um, 
And I mean, it, the funny thing is, is that where FAR was headed on Water and Solutions, where I kind of wish we had kept going, is kind of why we broke up. Because, again, you know, FAR turned down Hostage. I would have loved to sing Hostage with FAR. Um, and I think 14 to 41, as much as I love it as a new end song, could have been a really fucking cool FAR song. And that was kind of literally the song that broke FAR up because... Sean said it sounded like a commercial to him and I took it personally and was really sad because um, I was like, no, this is a fucking great tune and he just didn't want to hear it. So I I wish we had kept going and I think actually um, This Is Water off of Tender Wild, uh, I, th- I can completely imagine that being played by far. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't think it ever really left per se, but I, it is a little bit less screamy these days um, you're right that could be a far chorus now that i'm 100 yeah i just listened 100%. to it earlier yeah true yeah so so there's still little whispers of it everywhere and honestly the rock music that i'm making is pretty much it's not that what i you know, wish far was doing but if far had stuck together that's what i imagine us doing um seems yeah it seems like you all hit that that point i think a lot of great bands hit and it's like a almost like a cautionary tale I want to tell other bands to be able to get through is that like like you hit a point where you needed to to say something and these are these are the songs and this is what I need to say and I think there comes a point where a band needs to allow the front person and the singer and the songwriter to kind of have that liberty and then I think there also comes a time when a band, particularly like, well, I won't say who in the band, but when a band has to accept the fact that you're like, this band can only motor along with a good front person and with someone who has those songs. So we need to like swallow some of that pride and take it back and let this all like kind of regroup into a new thing. But like, as I heard you say in interviews, you know, when you're like, 80 days in a row on the road, uh, you know, those feelings are, it's hard to reach a sensible place. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I mean, the whole thing about bands that maybe I've repeated before is that we tend to get in bands because we aren't great at expressing ourselves verbally and we express through music and we share these really intimate parts of ourselves through this music, but then we've got to actually communicate about like using words and Uh it's just, and between, yeah. And then when you get out, you know, if you're on a fucking 15 hour drive from Dallas to San Diego or whatever, it, it, you know, it's. Oh, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, no one is sane. It's just a, I know, you know, but it's a, it's a whole level of, of life that you can't really understand until you're there. And it really took its toll on us. And I'm very, it's okay. Like my life was falling apart. Like I was getting divorced and I had a little kid and no one else had a little kid in the band. And there was a bunch of differences that went way beyond music, but in terms of music in particular, yeah, to me that, that phase of maturation, I guess it could come down to like singers and songs, but it's just kind of angst. If you're a rock band, angst will, I mean, it'll only get you so far unless you really want to make angst your brand. Um, like if, you know, Rage Against the Machine, I would call the sort of the ACDC of the 21st century. Um, and because 
but they died too because they couldn't they couldn't make it out of that or figure out a way to make it out of that. Um, as fucking mighty as they were, it was kind of one dimensional in the end. And if you can't make it over that hurdle of getting a couple other dimensions in there, it's if maybe it maybe you can com- com- keep it going commercially because people will just kind of keep doing it if you're doing it well enough. But creatively speaking, I'm just a person who. I don't know. There's more than one mood, so I got to figure out a way to say that in music. Um, it, it, so, yeah, there you and go. I, and and yeah. I do think that wave exists commercially, too, because I think at some point, any artist or any band has to hit a point where you're either mildly uncool or people are kind of bored of you. Like, it happens eventually to everybody and everything, you know? And, Beautiful, yeah. you know, yeah. the great ones do manage to kind of have that uber confidence to poke their way through and reinvent themselves and, you know, reappear in another time. But it takes, it takes kind of an old soul to navigate that. Like it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's kind of two parts to that. The first part that you mentioned is beautiful and I have used it as a guiding light. I mean, you know, we're back to that song and like, I never want to say my best days are behind me. Like I take that phrase seriously. I love continuing to push myself as a human being. The art is whatever it is, but just as a, as a creature, I just want to keep, I want to keep beginner's mind. I want to keep having fun. I want to keep finding new adventures and whether or not anyone else wants to listen to that is, is entirely not up to me. Um, (laughs) And so I, you know, combining that. so the second part that I was getting to is like the, the commercial part and, and interacting with the marketplace and my constitution has never been great for that. And so to throw that back into the far mix, I think one of the, it was just people really wanted more commercial success out of us. And Sean and I had really different takes on what that path was going to look like. I mean, look, the ba- they, the guys hated Mother Mary. I mean, it was that song was a fucking fight. Um, they, my initial recording of it was kind of poppier than what ended up on the record, and the way that. Sean in particular wanted it was way heavier and I couldn't for the life of me figure out a way to make that song heavier than it was. It was just, that was the song and it wasn't, it almost didn't end up on the record because there was so much struggle around it and the vocal itself, there was actually, there was a sort of a more muscular vocal on that song at one point, but it just did not have whatever I think is interesting about that song anymore. And I, <laughs> when no, I did a very singer move when no one was in the studio, except me and the second engineer, I was like, put up a fucking mic. I'm going to sing this song and it's going to be good. And I did it. And, and it's the version you hear now. And the band wasn't particularly happy with it, but uh, I just, was like, look, you know, take their, take or leave the song. But there was a lot of that back in the day. It was just a lot of me going like, I know this is a good chorus. I know this is a good riff. It's not about being poppy. I don't care about being successful. I don't care about, I just want to be a, like a multidimensional band. And there just wasn't, that was not 
a popular opinion. People in those days were so hyper-focused on like any attempt by an alternative band to write like a poppy chorus, you know, uh, was deemed by, you know, the, the, the scene police and stuff to be like an attempt of selling out or like, you know, this thing. And I think people were, myself included, were hyper-focused on stuff to a fault. Um, you know, where you just had to let a good song be a good song and not worry about, you know, the chorus of approval or disapproval after. But again, much easier to say in hindsight, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, we, far was, if we weren't, once in a while we were on bills where we were the band that was way too loud and way too metal, but for the most part, we were on really, yeah, we were fucking touring with Sepultura and Mother Mary might as well have been fucking Burt Bacharach, you know, it just, it just, <laughs> it, it just, it just wasn't a thing that anyone had any interest in, in terms of, in terms of like heavy music. And it's a strange, I, I feel very lucky that I don't have the bitter gene or whatever, but it's a strange thing for me to have written these songs and kind of champion these songs that no one was championing. And now, or yeah, they're kind of everything. It's trippy. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I think it's, it's definitely a, a big part of, uh, you know, I, I think it was a big part of the shift, you know, in alternative music and stuff like that. So definitely give your yourself and the other guys credit for, for uh, putting some very important, important things into the world at that point. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, 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 I do. I, I don't take that for granted. I am grateful for it. I don't spend too much time thinking about it cause I just would rather think about songs, but, but it, it is sweet to look back on like when I, I mean, water and solutions in particular, actually no tin cans too. I don't like the way the record sounds in some ways, but between those two records and then the early one line drawing stuff, and I'll throw a new end in there too. There's the beginnings of a few different genres that are hugely popular now. And I feel I feel happy that the music I made back then holds up well in that light. I'm happy sure. about that. Sure. And you don't have to confirm or deny this. It's coming out of my mouth. But I'm pretty sure Far had something to do with White Pony, which is you know an all-time classic alternative record but you watched that band make a shift. You guys were somewhere in the middle of that. So I, I, I give some credit to far for kind of helping the Deftones find their way a little bit too. Um, I, I appreciate that a lot. And I'll just, I'll just venture it, the territory into where people think I'm some sort of whatever overly arrogant dick or something. But yeah, no, to me, there's no question that if you listen to Deftones and Incubus before and after spending a lot of time with us and with me, um, you've got some pretty different bands. Yeah. I think it's pretty, it's pretty, yeah, look at it chronologically. Uh, yeah, it seemed, it, for anyone who was like paying attention, it's not, I'm not trying to make it up or, and I don't need it to be hey, true or anything. I brought but it up. I, I love it. it. Thank you. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, I was a teenager when this was going on hyper-focused on what every band was doing. And I'm the one who came up with this theory. Bless so, you. Bless not you. you. Not Bless right. you. So to get back to some wisdom here, you have okay. an adult child, 
right? Fuck, at this yeah. point. Um, I have two. I have two little ones. Oh. So I was hoping for some uh, some tips from someone who's been through it. What, what do you got for for uh, a touring musician type with a, mm. an alternative mindset and, and raising kids? Mm. Which what are some pitfalls and, and things and things I should be doing? You think? Fuck, man. Um, do you, what? Uh, what are the genders of your children? Uh, one and one. Okay, great. Um, so I, I only have one and it's a daughter and the thing I say to my father friends, which is tough love advice, but I think is real, real is it, I know you're being a dad now, but you're not really a dad till you drop off your daughter to pick up her birth control. Um, <laughs> that's, that's when fatherhood oh, starts. Oh, um, no. Brad just fucking got the shivers. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? She's 16, your daughter? No, younger. Uh, me? Yeah. Four, 14. 14, right. Uh, Brad yeah. got a 14-year-old daughter. I think you just you just sent him into a tailspin tonight. An extra beer. Yeah. An extra beer free, tonight for Brad. Free therapy, free therapy for Brad. Brad. Um, uh, you okay, Brad? No, I've already had this discussion with a friend of mine who had her daughter on birth control at 16. So. I think I think the sweetest thing that I ever did for myself and my kid is when she would be sad that I was going away and she would say, I know you have to go away for work, that I very even-handedly said that I do not have to go away. I'm choosing to go away. I hate it. And I miss you terribly when I'm gone. And this is what I love to do. And I love it so much that I'm going to take some time away from you, who I love so much. And I hope you can see what this means about like life choices. Um, and so I think that's the main thing is that I, I tried to be very honest with her about my intentions. And I, I just want, I, I guess I can more say like what I don't think parents should do is do that obligatory thing of like, I'm working to put food on the table for you. That is just, I think, a very mean thing to say to children that like my life is in any way obligatory based on their existence. I just think that's a really kind of a cruel, strange thing to say. So, yeah, so I just like being with like, this is what I love. This is what I'm spending my time doing. And what do you love? And what do you spend time doing? And And try to pass that along. I think especially at our level of privilege and comfort, our lives are a very choice-based lives. So all I've ever tried to talk with Hannah about and show her and model for her is that I'm accountable for my choices. I'm aware of what they are. I'm aware of the consequences. I'm, I'm here to listen. And also I really take advantage. I've always taken advantage of the touring life thing. I mean, first of all, just to be totally real, cause I know you're in a more, Again, like you're at a, you're at a higher scale of popularity than I've ever really been at, and and as far as I can tell, the touring machine is is fucking brutal. Like I, a whole other thing that broke up far, honestly, was that we turned down a bunch of tours because I didn't want to go out of town for six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen weeks at a time. Um, right? Yeah. 
it was, I just decided I had a father who was gone, you know, and I really didn't want to be that. And one of my deepest nightmares was that me pursuing this beautiful dream of playing music for a living was going to turn me into effectively my father. Um, right. No so, matter the intention. Yep. No matter how, you know, yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't drinking myself to death. There was a lot of difference between me and my dad, but the absence, the physical absence. Um, so that's just a, it's a tough one. And I just, I honestly just truly wish you well, but that's a, a thing that really changed the course of my whole attempt at being successful. I remember my daughter coming to me and as a teenager and asking, why didn't you try to get more famous? And, you know, of course she was asking, it's like, why don't we have a big house like my friends? Um, (laughs) And I had to say, I don't know what would have happened if I had gone on more tours, like in terms of my career and maybe things would have gone a lot better and better. But I know I would have missed a lot of your soccer games. Um, And that was the best answer I had is that I chose to get home as much as possible and spend as much time with her as possible because I think physical presence is just, again, we're animals. This is pre-verbal shit. You know, I think pre, like just, like just, just sitting with her and walking around in a meadow and climbing a tree and shit, like all the stuff that happens between the, the big advice and the philosophy. I think that's, that's what it, what it is, man. Um, I think that's, that's, that's what I wish I would have had when I was a little kid. And, and we, you know, we all make our choices, but yeah. So to, to circle back, being honest with her about it, being honest with myself about it. I think that's the best gift we can give to our kids. I really do. Oh, it's really interesting advice. Cause I think I've already, you know, the last time I toured my, you know, my kids were little to the point where, you know, it was like, ah, whatever. I could tell them I'm seeing right, Elmo, right. you know, um, <laughs> you know, and now, you know, coming in the fall, you know, they're getting astute, you know, like they know to a certain extent what's going on and, and I honestly was, I was, my wife and I both, I think by default, we had gone to this like, well, daddy's got to bring home the bacon, you yep. know, kind of sure. mindset, of course. Of you course. know, just like, hey, I don't have a choice, you yeah. know, and you're, and you're right. I have a fucking choice. <laughs> I'm making a choice. And that's important to tell them. I actually really appreciate that advice. Oh, I'm so glad. Because uh, yeah, that, like, that idea yeah. of just giving a kid license to have personal choice not be tied to a fucking job or something like I'm, I'm choosing to do this and be here. That's a, yeah, that's an important thing to teach more than masking like the, you know, the current situation. Yeah. I just, I think it's just better for, for everybody. It's just so sad for me when I, when I talk to my friends on the other side of it, you know, cause there's us worried about being absent for our kids as we, as we do this thing that we love. And yes, that makes us money. There's also the other thing of where, yeah, parents, give up on their dreams and work some job they don't enjoy. And then like low key blame their kids for it. Um, right. Yeah. You were like, that oof. you ruined my life sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. You, like whether yeah, it's spoken right. or not, I, I, I'm the, I'm of the mind that thinks kids, well, I, I thinks that we all feel everything, but the kids, even if they can't express it, maybe especially when they can't express it, feel everything. So uh, I, I just, to me, it's as important as anything to just be straightforward about it and uh 
go from there. So I'm really happy that that thought, you know, is it all helpful for you? That's really sweet. Very useful. Well, all right. So I want to wrap up on something fun. Great. You are a fan of the television show, The Office, to the point Mm. that you have a... uh, uh, a tribute track that I heard. That's great. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> and, that's such COVID art. I love that song so yeah, much. Yeah, it's great. And you know, it's, you called it a junk food show, which it is for me too. It's just this like, it's almost like excellent background music that only gives me the appropriate amount of emotions for a certain time of night, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, as the years go on, I was wondering, last question, who is the favorite character and least favorite character, and why? Uh, the Office. <laughs> I'm gonna try. <laughs> the Office is. Uh, it's really neat for me that it's had such a revival at this point, and that people are just so uh, over the moon about it. Because to me, The Office is like the of the very a very perfect pop song. It's like it's like the song "Surrender" by Cheap Trick, and that. It's got these great choruses, so poppy. You're right. You can just have it on. It's comfort food. It's it's all sweet and wonderful. But if you want to dig in, there's actually a ton of emotional complexity and kind of really smart thoughts on this working life, on responsibility as an adult, on what it is to be an adult. Um, I think it's a, just a, an, a kind of an astonishing document of our 21st century existence. And I... It's cliche or whatever, but Michael Scott, man, that that performance by Steve Carell is as layered and interesting a dramatic performance as I'll put that up against anything. I'll put that up against your fucking De Niro's and all the other you know brilliant actors of all the generations. Walter White, Tony Soprano. Hell yeah, all all those beautiful antiheroes. I will put Michael Scott up there. I think that is a man exploring his own blind spots, his cluelessness, um, his, the terrible ways he treats people when he gets too up in his own feelings. Um, and Steve Carell, bless him, has the brilliance to let it wash over his face, even when he doesn't get it. Um, and, but it just, it's just a a fucking, I, I just really, I love, again, I think probably related to daddy issues. I really love, stories about internal male landscapes kind of thing and what it is to see a creature wrestling with what it is to be a man in our culture. culture. Yeah, um, I do too. Yeah. And so Michael Scott is a, is a, a real, it's a real creature, but beyond that, I, I think the other, you know, to totally flip that the other way, the real brilliance of the office is the ensembleness of it is that they are all one organism. Um, that it's just Creed and Meredith and Stanley and Dwight and Angela and Oscar and Kevin and Jan. Oh my fucking God, Jan. Uh, and, and Pam. Um, I'll, I'll throw in Andy, even though I'm a pretty, like a, I'm a pretty office purist. I mean, Kelly and Ryan. I mean, it's all just, it's, they really just did such a beautiful job at articulating the human experience. Um, in this in this age of what the fuck is it to have a job? What is it to have money? What is it to have family? What is it to have community? Um, I just think that 
that show ticks all the boxes for anyone who really wants to get in there. And I know it's just a silly little sitcom, but if anything, since the last time I spoke about The Office, my feelings for it have only deepened because, again, I really love a thing where you can just hum along if you want to. You don't have to give a shit about the lyrics, but I like when you dig into the lyrics that there's actually something there. Like, that's actually all I've ever tried to do as a songwriter is, like, give people some good hooks, and that's sweet. But if they want to hang out and listen to the second verse... I promise there will be something there. Well, what's interesting, what you taught, I think it's the same in singing and it's the same thing that I find almost romantic about Michael Scott at times is like, you don't, you can't only buy the message, you have to buy the intent. So when when you're putting yourself, when you put yourself out there in like a super loving way, and people hear you sing a love song or something about romance, you can, you can buy it. You know, you're, I buy that. Like, cause that person shows me a certain intent. And I think one of the reasons the office is so fun to watch in perpetuity, when you already know what happens is the fact that you get to the end of Michael Scott and you do decide that you trust his intent the entire time. So exactly. it's like, it's like you're willing to give him a pass for all these fucking awful things, you know, which just like Tony Soprano and Walter White, it's just basically like, devouring someone's feelings instead of murdering them, uh, which makes him an anti-hero, I guess. But yeah, by the end of it, you just trust his intent and you're like, okay, this guy's a fucking idiot. And, and he tried, he was trying, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting for me. Like one of the things I hear a lot these days in this sort of like everyone railing about cancel culture or whatever the fuck is a lot of people I've heard, I could listen to a lot of office podcasts and okay. often a thing that's, that's asked is could the show get away with its edgy humor now? And I, it's not about that. The, the point that's missed is that it's not even about the edgy humor and the brilliant device of Michael Scott was that you got to see a white guy stepping in it 24 seven and every, so they got, he got to be the, the, the vehicle for that humor because he was the clueless person and he had a big enough heart that he was actually curious about how he had hurt feelings. Like when Kelly slapped him in his face, he was embarrassed because he'd been imitating an Indian person. Like, you know, and he was embarrassed because he thought everyone didn't like him and all that stuff, but he understood oh fuck like i was <laughs> right, right. being an asshole just then like he wasn't mad at her he didn't it wasn't a, like he he kind of he has this real snap back to reality i think i remember reading uh huck finn or tom sorry i can never forget how that works but um the child character talking to the the like the old black dude and the child figuring out through that, that here's a human being that shouldn't be property is one of the most brilliant literary devices. And I think Michael Scott gave us this thing saying, yeah, these jokes are fucking stupid because they're kind of based in white supremacy and patriarchy and you probably shouldn't be making them. And so it's so funny that people are like proud to make those jokes because they think that's what it is, what free speech is. They don't get that the brilliance of Michael Scott was that he was a flawed vessel 
to teach us about how to <laughs> right. not be a fucking asshole. Right. Like, uh, this is what it looks like if right, you actually do that. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And this so, is how horrible it looks if you do right. that. Yeah. And so we got to have a really good laugh at it, but I hope the people that are laughing at it are laughing at their own frailties. You know, like, right. to me... Right. I think I, I wrote a, a strange little poem at one point where I actually, we're back to fatherhood, um, that I said something, I think it was a Valentine's card for, for Hannah or maybe like a Father's Day card or some something, or no, I don't know what it was. So it was some card for me to her. Um, and I said, there's a point in every father's life where he has to find and make friends with his internal Michael Scott. Yeah. Um, and this, <laughs> this sort of human that is so desperate to be pleased and doesn't really get the world, but it's trying to figure it out. And so I think I'm going to throw that into my parental advice thing is like, just be humble because if evolution is working, our kids will be better than us. Um, <laughs> and, and so just, just like, I really like embracing my inner Michael Scott and actually we're back to anxiety and talking too much now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it really, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up and that the path, the path that Michael Scott was on, I really do consider it the path that I'm on where I had to figure out where's, I'm not necessarily like Michael Scott in the sense that I say the stupid shit he does, but that way I used to fight people all the time. That was me going through my Michael Scott and not understanding that I was just being a fucking idiot and I had to settle down and love myself a little bit more and let other people do their thing a little bit more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And we're back. Oh, yeah. Thank you for going on that journey with us. That journey off track. Ending with Michael Scott. I liked it. Yeah. Had to give it a little. You guys, boy, I didn't know you could get that deep into a sitcom. The two of you there. (laughs) There's some weight to it. For real? I never even, I mean, I love the show. I never really thought about it. and And I just, I couldn't help but just listen. It was intense. That's cool. It makes sense. And I think, you know, you know, I've made this argument before. I believe comedy in general deserves this level yeah. of like nuanced critique, right. you know, way more than like, like some other films I see, like the recipe to not only make someone laugh, but the recipe to make someone be emotionally invested in a comedic character is hard. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be these weird layers and, you know, shows of humanity. And yeah, he's right. Steve Carell nailed it. The writers nailed it. It's, it's really just a, it's a good thing. Does anybody, do non-white people like that show? Probably not, right? 
I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm going to go ahead and guess no. I think I think it's got a particular uh, wheelhouse in a way. Maybe I'm not I, sure though. I don't know I don't if know. I can. I can't answer for other I communities. Think a lot of know. what's going on there is very cross social barriers. So okay. Sort of, but I wonder I if it's wrong. a universal program like that. Not sure. But anyway, that was fun. I enjoyed going on that journey with Jonah. I try not to blow too much smoke up his ass, you know, but uh, Far Records are pretty important to me. New and original. A lot of great. This new one-line drawing stuff is really cool. I've been getting into mm-hmm. the couple new songs he has out. and I don't know. And I really appreciate this way he's doing things. I went out to the website, and there's this real just community-based, you know, attempt to connect with with fans in a direct and personal way. It's like, you know, like we talked about in the interview, maybe this is really the future of, like, you know, alternative music again. And I, I don't know. I love it. It's, it's forward-thinking. It's cool. Jonah's always kicking it. I really enjoyed that talk. How about you, Brad? I had a great ride. <laughs> <laughs> Did you wear aviators? Although most of the time, all I was doing was thinking about how I was going to fix all the uh, the edits and things that came up. I got to say, you know, T-Pain gets a lot of credit for that vocal. <laughs> but wasn't it Cher? In yes. I yes. believe in life yes. after love. She was the first one to misuse auto-tune yeah. and, and create that effect. You're correct. First time I heard it. Inside yep. myself. Oh boy, go! No one else knows. It's like some mix between Cher and Michael McDonald. I just got Cher, <laughs> the only drag queen with a vagina. Whoa! <laughs> Brad goes there. Come on, I'm sure it's, she'd I, be into that. I, Listen, to, I mean that voice. Just like, just like, <laughs> just like I can't guess if people of color like The Office. I can't guess if Cher would like that comment. I just, I just, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, well, listen, Jonah, as he's stated, you know, catch up to him at his uh, website, which is jonahmatranga.com. He's no longer really doing anything on Facebook. He's also got Jonah Matranga on Twitter and Instagram. Um, check him out. Check because, out his music if you haven't before, because it's yeah. he's a great he's a he's a great artist. It's and, important. It's important yeah. music. And some of the stuff, he's done a lot of fun stuff over COVID that's just also worth checking out. It's fun. I agree. Um, I agree. I came up can... with a way to never s- spell his name wrong. What's that? Like you did when you sent it to me this time? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I rechecked it like 17 times as I was like talking to his publicist and writing emails and doing all this. And the drummer from... New Jersey legendary hardcore band Vision is named Matt Riga. So interesting. If I mispronounce his last name, Matt Renga, then I spell it correctly. It's like how I will always say connect I cut to know how to spell Connecticut. You know, so he's he's forever Matt Renga to me now. So I'll. You just got to be careful not to put uh, two T's in his name then when you do it that way. True. True. But big ups to Matt Riga, great drummer. 
Anyway, keep up with us at everywhere at Going Off Track and at patreon.com slash going off track if you want to join the gang, which yeah. of course involves forking up a few shillings. But to, you have uh, to get beat in or sexed in. It's up to you. Yeah, either one. Yeah. You can uh, you can get ad-free versions of these podcasts. You can get some bonus content and you can join us on Thursday nights for our little uh, fireside chat on Discord. Yeah. yeah. Ad free content. That's what it's Send all about, messages. Brad. You can, you can tell Benny exactly how you feel about him. You know, please. And he'll he'll uh, take it to heart. Listen, I'm open. I'm vulnerable. You say the wrong thing to me, you could floor me for a week. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I've been working with this guy. I know. Um, all right. Well, Brad. Yeah. I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great week. I hope everyone listening has a great week and that we, uh, you know, find some little slivers of life in this, in this 